Hello, everyone, and welcome to Everyday Linux, episode 41, Getting Spousal Approval, recorded February 26th, 2012, and brought to you by Element OP Productions, elementop.com. This week, we're going to talk about bringing Linux home and getting it to work so that your wife will be okay with it. Now, I, I know that there are female geeks out there who may be having the same issue with their husband, but... Um, they're small in number. So we're just going to assume that you're a guy with a wife or a girlfriend and you're trying to sneak Linux into the living room. You want to move it out of the basement into the living room and hopefully we have some advice for you. And uh, we have a special guest with us this week from uh, Podcasts Far and Wide, Mr. Steve McLaughlin. You know him as the door-to-door geek. Hey, Door. Hello, guys. What's going hey, on in your world? Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you. Um, well, I'm actually pretty excited. Um, I used to always say Saturdays and Sundays are the worst days ever for me because there's no podcast. Well, you have made this Sunday one of the best days of the week. Oh, well, thank you very much. Aww. And we actually release a show on Saturdays because of that. I've noticed that in my feed, too, that there just isn't anything. So right. um, we do that. And, and also with me this week, Mr. Chris Neves. You've already heard from him. Hey, Chris, the command hey. line godfather. What do we know today, guys? Anything cool? You know, I almost never know anything. Just enough to get by. <laughs> and Aaron Butler, the former fat guy, here with his regular insouciant wit. Hey, Aaron. Thank you, Mark. I think I'll Google that term and <laughs> tell you if it's a compliment later. <laughs> you border on sardonic sometimes, even. I do. I do, I do border on sarcastic. I try not to make that jump from sarcastic to sardonic, but sometimes I do. <laughs> All right, and so uh, just want to say a couple of two, a couple of two things, <laughs> a couple of things uh, that are sort of happening in the news this week, uh, and the new Google Docs app for Android it hasn't been updated yet on the iOS, but on the Android is moving closer to total awesomenimity. My word, copyright, Mark Cockrell, 2010, 2012. Um, but just this week, they had an update. If your phone hasn't updated yet, go make it do so. Uh, it brings uh, live real-time collaboration and limited um, file uh, font formatting and things like that, things that it's been missing. You no longer have that little box that you have to type in. You actually can touch anywhere and work, and, and you see other wow. updates as they go. It is getting much closer to the actual online uh, experience. Still, their mobile app, if you go to it in the browser in your phone, it still sucks. But if you download the app, um, it's getting a whole lot better. So uh, just uh, props to Google for that. Being in the school setting like I am, that's sort of the last thing that we're waiting for before we can do some rollouts of these Android apps because we're a big Google school, and right now the Google experience on a Google tablet sucks. So it's getting much better. Thank you, Google. Mark, something, something you said in that confused me. Okay. You said get the app, but if you do it in the mobile app? If you go to their, the mobile browser. If you, so if you just if open you, it in the browser. Right. If you use Dolphin or, or tap fi Firefox right. or Safari or whatever and just go to it in a regular mobile browser, it's still lame. You have to have okay. the actual app. The actual Google app. Okay, I got yeah. you. I'm with you now. My, my mouth was running faster than my brain, which isn't hard to do. And, which means us Fire users are also out the window because we don't get that yet. Um, you could sideload mm -hmm. it, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you're willing to do that, is there no way to put, I mean, you could put other markets like, uh, 
uh, App Brain and things like that, right? But there's no way to get the market on a on a Kindle Fire. Yeah, you can. Okay, you have to uh, root it. Then you have to download the Android SDK framework, sideload that. Then you can sideload the market. <laughs> then you can install Google Docs. See, that's what I, I, I think about you, Dor, because to you that means sure you can. To the rest of us, that means no, you can't. Well, all I could hear when he was saying that was Dana Carvey saying, well, upload it to SATCOM 4, bounce the satellite <laughs> signal off, exactly. <laughs> ride it to Mac and Mr. Big's catalog, uh, limousine. It's almost too easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just say, if anyone is listening and does want assistance with this, don't hesitate. Shoot me an email. I'll be happy to give you a hand. I haven't, uh, I haven't rooted a tablet. I have the uh, um, Transformer, the original 101. I haven't rooted it. I have rooted my phone. Uh, primarily so that I could do um, tethering. That's really the only reason I did it. That and screenshotting, I think, is really the only thing I've done. Well, and the backup, titanium backup. Really, rooting doesn't get gain you a whole lot for the most part. Since I've got Dor right here on the show and I can ask him, and I know he's a big Android uh, guy, I have the Samsung Stratosphere, which is a mm-hmm. fairly new phone on Verizon. And last I heard, there wasn't a root root wrong root root thing thingy out there for it it couldn't be rooted originally there wasn't one available you know if there is one laying around for the stratosphere uh, i'll say yes but i have absolutely no idea <laughs> um typically with the phones here for the last like five to eight months it's literally been about a week okay if it's, if it's at all popular it'll take about a week and there's always the hard way of rooting of connecting the device and then doing adb commands to root it which nobody likes to do. So the app typically takes a week to two weeks for it to start to become developed and then like a full month, month and a half for it to be fully baked. So if I wanted to search for that, would I just Google Samsung Stratosphere, Stratosphere Root? Uh, actually, no. I would heavily suggest going to Root's Wiki. That's my new favorite way to do it. And right here, they have on their site how to root Samsung Stratosphere. Uh, you need two zip files. Mm. Half a case of gin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a geek buddy with a free afternoon. It doesn't look incredibly complex, but it does not look easy. It does look like you do have to do ADB commands. Okay. I downloaded the one-click root for my Nexus S, which was actually like four terminal commands and three copied files and then one click. Right. So it wasn't exactly truth in advertising. Actually, if you really look closely, it was dot, 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 one click. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you. That, that was my warm-up bit right there. Samsung right. transfer. Because I would like to root it so I could t- wirelessly tether it and not have to tether it with a USB cable. Um, can I ask, what are you going to tether it to? Um, my laptop. Okay, good. No problems. Uh, what's interesting is uh, I have AT&T. I don't know how other companies do it, but AT&T at the at the phone company shuts down rooting so that you're you're if they sense you rooting even though your phone can do it like i i bought the uh, i had the nexus one and the nexus s both uh, that are um rooted unlocked from the not rooted but unlocked from the from the factory uh and you 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 tether for a few seconds and then your your 3g or your edge or whatever just goes away they just they, they just block the signal entirely when they sense that you're when you're um root uh tethering verizon which is who i have my i have a friend that's fairly up there as far as their engineering type people and he basically says that if you don't abuse it they won't come looking for you 
you know, I don't know what the threshold they have set on it is as far as how much downloads you're doing per month. I'm, I'm grandfathered in, so technically I have unlimited data. Um, so there, I don't know that I have any kind of flags on my account. Uh, but I'm sure that in my EULA that I signed in blood when I got my phone, it says <laughs> I would never tether this to anything, including a donkey. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't abuse it. I use it. They don't even know about actually, lanyards, right? You can't even tether it that way. Exactly. That's what I mean. I've used it a few times, like, uh, Staying at a at a resort, you know, like a timeshare resort type place that doesn't have Wi-Fi in the rooms, and so I want to be able to actually type and do my email, that kind of thing. I, you know, I don't stream Netflix on it for ten hours. Uh, so anyway, yeah. I'll but why would you want to watch Netflix on the iStrainovision of that itty bitty TV? Or no, that's the point. I'm, phone I'm tethering, tethering my phone tether. to the laptop and then watching it on the laptop. That's right. That's why. I want that's to why tether. you would tether so that you don't have to watch it on the little screen. That's why I just said that. <laughs> the I, you know. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> I, uh, and and I was like, real quick, most of the throttling or most of how the carriers control the bandwidth on your phone, it, it's actually done on the phone itself. Right. Um, so there might be a way you can, un, you can block your carrier from cutting off your 3G. In the case of the uh, Nexus S, they made a deal with Google. Google put that in the... Or, or uh, not Google, but uh, Samsung. Sam- Samsung put that in the firmware, so there's no, nothing you can do. Uh, but the the workaround is to do ad hoc mode instead of access point mode, and then you're okay. So as long I'll as you the have firmware, I fix it every time. I tell you, <laughs> <laughs> as long as you have uh, a device that can connect via ad hoc uh, tethering, which almost everything can these days, you're fine. So I, I do it on my. On my iPad, on my on my laptop, I do it all that time. But you have to be able to root to get the ad hoc option. Right. And see, I have 4G now, so there's even more reason to tether because I got 22 meg down the other day sitting in a restaurant just testing it for fun. How much? 22. Jeez. Nice. I don't yep. get that at my house. I don't either. <laughs> I, don't even, I never use the Wi-Fi even at my house. <clears throat> now I'm sad. <laughs> Another interesting thing, I don't. Uh, maybe you guys can tell me on Android. Uh, th- welcome to all about Android, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, <laughs> Everyday Android, <laughs> at least on my phone, and it may be a, a Samsung thing or it may be a, an Android thing. Um, when the screen turns off, they kill Wi-Fi. Yeah, um, and I have a, an app called Keep Wi-Fi that makes it go on, but that's weird. If you're even if you're home, if you're streaming stuff, or if you got you know things downloading or whatever, as soon as the screen goes off, they kill Wi-Fi, and you're pulling over three G the whole time. Hmm. I've never noticed that online, but I don't really use the Wi-Fi on the Stratosphere, so I don't know. Then my other phone wasn't Samsung; it was Motorola. And that uses more battery. It eats up your data plan. It's just the worst possible way to do it. If I'm in a Wi-Fi hotspot, by golly, use Wi-Fi. Yeah. Anyway, okay. Moving right along, uh, the next um, thing to notice that the the next announcement, next thing that happened this week is a VLC Video Land Client, which we'll talk about a little later on in the show, came out with version two. Uh, when they've been in the version one point whatever string for almost a decade now, so it's kind of a big deal that they finally moved to two. Um, and from what I understand, it has some amazing new features, none of which I've tried. <laughs> I haven't even installed it yet, but according to the Mashable article, it's pretty darn cool. So that's that's really all the uh, um, heads up and intelligent. Uh, um, commentary i can give you about that well before we started the show i installed it and just to look at it but i really don't see a whole lot of difference in in interface wise it's not quite a spartan but 
it's still pretty, you know, for look wise, it looks still pretty VLC ish. I hear people talk about VLC as a video converter tool and as a CD, as a DVD ripper that theoretically can do that. I've never had success with that. The only ripping I've ever been able to do is, is the, the, where you save it as an MPEG in real time as you're watching. And then the file is unnecessarily big. I've never been able to do that, but I understand other people have success with that. Just not me. Okay. Hmm. Apparently that's all we have to say about that. So, since Seth isn't here, we don't have any Linux news this week, so we'll just jump right on to uh, getting Linux in your living room. Uh, guys, how many of you have introduced Linux to your wives in, at some point in time? Oh, yeah. 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 All right. How did that go? Well, my newbiness came out because I had my laptop in the den dual booted and didn't know how to change my grub. Uh, boot order, and so every time she rebooted the computer, it came up and went into Linux, and she was not happy about that. So I fixed that. So now my introduction to Linux for my wife is she no longer has to deal with it. <laughs> what about you, Chris? Uh, it was a mixed bag. She uh, she really liked the, how the speed of it and how everything worked, and the fact that she didn't have to worry about anything anymore. But there were some applications that were um, that she needed for both home and work that we couldn't find equivalents. Four in Linux, so she ended up having to go back to Windows. Yeah, and that that happens to a lot of people. Is there's this one or two killer apps that you can't do without, and, and it's been my experience that you really can do without them. There are alternatives, but people are often unwilling to go through the pain of that. And you know, if it's just your wife and it's something you brought home, um, you know, why why would they want to go through any pain of change, right? Right. Yeah, we don't like whiners. Get it. It was it was weak. If that's Thank the best you. you've got. It was the best I had, Mark. <laughs> it's gonna be a long night. Yes, it is. Okay, so uh uh Dor, what about you? Um I to be honest, mine was really successful and it was only because of a couple of reasons. Um I had experience converting a couple um, customers over when I did computer repair, virus removal kind of thing. So the first thing I did was I installed Linux Mint 11, I believe is what it was. And then I put shortcuts on the desktop to Firefox, LibreOffice Writer, LibreOffice Calc, but I changed their icons. I changed the Firefox icon to IE. I changed the writer icon to Microsoft Word, and I changed the calc to Excel. I also Maybe. went into um, both of them, and I changed their default save as to Doc and XLS. Um, and to be honest, we've only had one issue that she's had in about a year now, and that was uh, IRS PDF forms. I didn't have Adobe Reader installed. I had a different PDF client, so all I did was just go remove the one I had, put on the real quote-unquote one, and she's been happy. Yeah, and um, we, we talked about this, uh, I think it was just last week, about how that deception model can work in the short term, but it almost never succeeds in the long term because you uh-huh. it doesn't take long to realize that you're not actually in the tool you want to use if you're an advanced user in the least. Yeah, which is a well, problem I had with my she's wife. She's not advanced. Yeah, I'll say she's not advanced in the least, but I told her, basically, you're going to use it. 
And that's what we got. <laughs> yeah. Unless you want to buy a brand new computer. So he used the deception slash ultimatum method. Right. <laughs> the we can't afford anything better, so deal with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And well, she's <laughs> had little, little tiny things, and she's basically learned a little bit on her own, and she's pretty happy now. I'll be honest, as big a Linux advocate as I am, uh, and as much as I like it just for personal use, my wife's laptop still runs Windows uh, Vista. Um, because I hate it. No. Uh, because, uh, because Windows Vista got a lot better after a couple of service packs. But uh, there's... Of course, computer runs Windows Vista just fine. Right. Because there was no reason to change her. She is a very light user. She does pretty much web apps and a little uh, Microsoft Office sort of stuff. Um, well, actually, she has uh, Open Office. But the, the laptop came with Windows. There was no reason to mess with it. I mean, if I could have bought a laptop without Windows, I probably would have, but that wasn't an option. So why go through the hassle and the marital strife of changing over for no reason? So she's still happily running Windows, and I'm happily running Linux uh, in other places. And, and she moves back and forth you know, as she needs to. Yeah, I'll definitely say not everybody needs Linux. Uh, some people have perfectly fine on the Windows OS and they don't get infected and they just use it every day. Right. Yeah, and, and you know, I make sure she has a good... Uh, um, she's got... Uh, oh, I just blanked on the free, the free Microsoft tool. Of security essentials. Security. Security essentials. She's got security essentials. I've got a good Boris box uh, that uh, you know keeps us protected there, and so it's 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 never been an issue. And and you know all she does is Facebook. Well, um, two years from now, when that laptop gets passed down to your daughter, then maybe stick Linux on it, right? So that you have less likely to get viruses and things like that. A little more control of it and all that. What kind of right? So let's just say, what would you? What are some of the problems that you might encounter, other than just the in, initial um, uh, sticker? Not sticker shock's not the right word. The initial initial environment. Buy-in costs. Oh, um, when you when you uh, when you get in and it's like, whoa, this is culture shock. There's a good word. That's the word I was looking for. When you're suddenly looking at Unity instead of Windows um, or KDE or something like that. Um, but, you know, after that, there's the real world, the living with stuff. For example, in my house right now with my Linux laptop, the only way I can uh, print a document is to print it to a PDF on my Linux box, copy that over the network to my Windows machine, and open up uh, a Foxit reader and print it from there. Because my crappy, cheap Walmart $50 printer does not have any Linux drivers cannot have any linux drivers it's a, it's one of those win printers that depends on the the windows kernel to actually do the printing um so, have you tried uh chrome print i'm not familiar oh with yeah that. the cloud the cloud oh. printing thing the cloud print yeah i haven't tried that either yeah. but it's something i've been wanting to but it's still the same thing i mean it's still printing somewhere else and having that computer do it right well yeah but it's just one less step in chrome you, you just say print in it handles the rest for you right which doesn't help me at all if i've created the document in something else well you upload to google docs i say it's a backup <laughs> and a, and a editor assuming google docs can open it but if it's a you know if it's a psd file that i've created in gimp you know there's not much i can do there sounds like we're getting one of those situations that, like where, I, where i've dealt with in the past where one office would fax uh, steve i work in a in healthcare it 
one office would fax a note to another office, literally fax it, print it out, take it to a fax machine, send it, stick it and send it over there using the same system. So really all the doctor had to do at the other office was just open the chart and look at it. Then they would receive it, scan it into the person's chart, print it back out of the chart, have the doctor scan it and scan it back in. I mean, sign oh it and scan Lord. it back in. <laughs> so you end up with the original copy, the printed copy, the scanned copy, the signed copy, when all it really had to do was just send a task to the other doctor for them to go, yes, I read it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Fun. So uh, this is one of those things where it's a problem without any real solution, at least the way I look at it, mm-hmm. is, is dealing with, with crappy printers. Now, if you have a printer that does have Linux support, you probably paid more for it, probably paid a fair amount for it. Um, but if you do, then um, managing that printer is just as easy, you know, just a simple thing as opening up whatever control panel is and your whatever you're using in, in GNOME or KDE. And then it's just, it just works. So that's a great so, thing. So the solution is before you buy a printer, email door and say, which printers will let me print in Linux? And he'll reply and say, these five. And, uh, now, um, there's a, there's a website that does a great job. It's openprinting.org. Yep. Very easy to search for what printers work good. But I'll say, to be honest, I've had the best success with going to flea markets and buying the oldest HP kind of thing I can find. And it typically installs near hands-free. But I'll say, yeah, the fix is a Franklin fix, as I call it, which means... Pulling out a checkbook or a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, and, and we've had that discussion. You know, people have asked, uh, you know, how do, how do I make sure my laptop, you know, Chris is, is running this year, how do I make sure my laptop uh, runs in Linux? you got to do that before you buy it. Yep. So yep. If, if you're committed to this whole Linux lifestyle thing, if you really want to be uh, a, a, a neckbeard, then you're just going to have to make your choices before you make your choices. And uh, there's kind of no way around that. Any uh, issues... Um, um yeah uh s s m s 4k in the chat room says that uh a 75 dollar lexmark all in one works lexmark is one of those companies that is committed to linux uh support almost all lexmark lexmark monitors work uh maybe not out of the box but with a little tweaking uh that's the brand that i use at at my work for that very reason because they they work. Uh, they're good printers, and they have out of the box Linux, Linux support most of the time. So, don't get the Kodak or the uh, the Canon multi print or whatever. Um, yeah. uh, a Lexmark is going to be the better way to go. Right. So, whenever you, you pull that HP out and it works out of the box, or is that using just the HP Universal driver? Usually, is it? Yeah. Is that what it yeah, because yeah, because I'll I'll also admit my needs are ultra easy. I don't do scanning. I don't do faxing. I just print. Yeah. Aaron, for a noob in residence, that was a very advanced question. The HP Universal driver, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that. a Windows yeah. <laughs> driver yeah, for me. Exactly. <laughs> I'm, only, I'm a, only a Linux noob, not a computer noob. Now, there are <laughs> ways, like, like there's the NDIS wrapper where you can wrap a Windows driver in Linux. There are ways to do that with printing, but it's broken and I, stay away. Yeah, I would avoid it too. I got lucky with Absolutely. my printer. There's a can't remember who's doing it, but my 2600N laser um, is one of those ones you have to re, you have to run your own, roll your own print driver for it. And there's a guy who developed it and maintains it. And I can't remember who does it right now off the top of my head. I could probably find him pretty quick. But 
and in my case with with the, the with the way my family does printers is we don't buy ink we buy printers and you know we we don't do a lot of printing it's just the odd paper here and there for school or or uh, Christmas card envelopes or something like that. So a printer cartridge will last a year or so. And then at that point, it's $30 for a new color cartridge or $35 for a new printer. We just right. go buy a new printer. So yeah, yeah, I was doing a Nathaniel science project with him this last week and I was making a, a continuity tester. He was, his experiment is, you know, what things in my house conduct electricity. So I made him a little tester with two probes. Originally I was going to use a buzzer and the buzzer we needed three C batteries so I went to buy the C batteries, and they were three forty nine. Or you could buy a flashlight with a three C battery for three ninety nine. Exactly. So I bought three flashlights, <laughs> and then uh, and then got home and thought, I'll just use the flashlight as the tester. And I drilled out the button that you punch to turn the flashlight on and off, and ran a wire through it and put the probes on that. So when you touch the probes, the flashlight comes on. Perfect. And, uh, and then gave him the other flashlight, one of the other flashlights to have as his flashlight because he always wants the flashlight, and returned the other one. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, uh, and. I was just going to throw one more thing out there. If printers are the bane of your existence and you don't want to deal with printers, but you need to print, I suggest trying uh, OpenSUSE 12.1. There's a list of almost 8,000 printers now where if you just plug the printer up, it will automatically download, install, and um, and, um, configure that printer as your default printer. And here was my solution. Now, I'm a geek. And most everybody listening to this show is a geek, so it may appeal to you. But I would never expect my wife, for example, to do this. I set up on my Windows machine, where the printer is connected, a batch file that every 30 seconds looks in a particular folder for a PDF and prints it. Then my default printer on my uh, Linux machine is set to PDF with that folder across the network as the location. So I just print it, and no more than 30 seconds later, it's printing out. Nice. I like that. That's pretty elegant there, Mark. Yes. And it, it's almost automatic. It seems automatic, uh, but uh, it's not. It's, it was convoluted and ridiculous, but it works. Oh, and that also brings <laughs> you to the next thing, thing over the other doctor's office. <laughs> Go ahead, Chris. I was gonna say, that brings up the next question, then, is how to get Samba to work, because that's always yes. a hiccup as well. Well, uh, talk to me about that, Chris. Have you had troubles? I've never, it's always just worked for me. I've never really had any issues with Samba. It depends on what is the the client. Um, a lot of times I have a lot of issues with the client not connecting through because of permissions. So it, it's one of those things that it's always, oh, I forgot to do that one little thing to allow that. Yeah. So it, it's it's one of those things that if you set it up once you never have to, and you never touch it again, you'll probably, yeah, I do have two left feet. <laughs> <laughs> now, the, the issue i've had is the other way around uh the the way the new way windows 7 does their home networking thing um it's it's a different thing and the permissions are different you it is you can't even Dang. use the the c dollar sign share anymore you still have to go and give some sort of explicit share unless you have an account it's a little complicated to connect to a windows share uh that way yeah so again my solution to that was uh, I have a Linux box that is the common share that everybody uses. So that's mapped on the Windows drive. Uh, and so we just sh- share everything on the Linux side, and Windows can attach to that because Samba is saying, hey, I'm just a regular Windows share, where it's more convoluted to go back the other way. And it's more convoluted in Windows now. From a Windows machine to go to a Windows machine is mm-hmm. more difficult using their home network thing. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize they'd changed it that much. I knew they'd gotten rid of the, the administrative share you know, by default. And I got ready to just 
grab a file off my other one of my laptop's laptops with Windows 7 and I was like, I can't get to that computer. What's going on? Right. It's like <laughs> I, I'm the administrator. I'm using the administrator password. I'm accessing the hidden yeah. chair, but no. I no paid good. for both of these computers with my money. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's my file and I want it now. <laughs> uh question in the chat room. What's the best tool to set Samba up? There's the sixty four dollar question. Um generally I'm a GUI guy. I don't I don't go in and set up config files by uh, by the command line. I'm sure Chris does. So me, I just use whatever the the tool in the, your um, it, file manager is. It, right in Nautilus or um, the other one. Dolphin. Nautilus or Dolphin. So Chris, how do you go about setting up Samba shares? Well, if I'm doing it for a quick share, I'll do that as a quick share in, inside of Nautilus just because it's something I need to do quick and, and I don't want to worry about how things are set up. Um, I'll use that because it's easy, and there's times that I don't want to fight with a Samba config file. But if it's something that's going to be permanent, I'll actually go in and set the Samba file myself. Why? What's the what's the benefit there? How clean it is. Um, the, there's a lot of times where those quick shares break for me. So instead of dealing with a broken quick sharing like that, it's just simple for me to just drop in there and... and echo the command in there yeah but you are the command line godfather i am yeah door how do you handle that um well to me it's been absurdly easy to set up Linux boxes to share to anything except for one little step uh and i always forget every time i go to set up a share i set it up and set it up and go to the other computer and it doesn't work and then for an hour i play around and then i remember SMB password. Uh, um, you have to basically add a user as being the owner of the network share to so other people can access it with that account. And if you don't do that, it can be near impossible to get it to work. Yep. Yeah. Now, my I will say none of my computers have passwords, so there are there's one account and it logs automatically into it, uh, and that that works. Uh, but if you have user accounts and different levels of access on either your Linux side or your Windows side, that does make things considerably more complicated. Well, yeah, and I'll say if you have a Windows account with no password and you're trying to connect to that as a to that Windows server as a share with with that account, it will never it work. It doesn't yet. work. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I found that out too the hard way. And that's that's why we're saying it doesn't work even on the Windows side. You have to go in and explicitly share it with no password. Even right. though, I mean, it, let's just take the model that we've had for oh, two decades and change it without documenting that. Hey, that sounds like a good idea. Sounds typical for Windows. Yeah, I'll say if your goal is to do network sharing, pick up a distro where that's one of the main features in it because then it will already have maybe some tools to make it a little bit easier. And if you're on Ubuntu, I'll say if you install a thing called task cell t-a-s-k-s-e-l it makes in installing a complete samba server one click hmm. now and the way i do it i don't ever trust a single point of failure if i can avoid it um and so i have like a nas set up that's backed up uh and i have the pogo plug that i've i've espoused my love for often and everything saves to those, which is then backed up. So rather than just having like my Windows, quote unquote, server, 
the the desktop sitting over in the living room be where I save everything. I save everything somewhere else. And so everything is accessing, say, the Pogo plug or the FreeNAS box that I've set up. And I think that's the smarter way to go about it if you don't mind having other worrying boxes. Now, if you don't want to go through all the trouble setting up a NAS, the Pogo plug is a great way to go. Yeah. Yeah, I love my Pogo plug. Yeah, they're cheap, and you just keep plugging in drives, and it works wonderfully. So that's that's sort of the way I get around the file sharing issue is I don't save things on that window, I, uh, on that computer. I save things somewhere else, and everything accesses the somewhere else. Right. Smart. Well, that's the way to do it from now. I mean, with how cheap boxes are now, you know, the Pogo plug or even a cheap, you know, $500 box that you can pick up or less from like Newegg and you could throw in something like uh, FreeNAS or Unraid or something silly like that, you know, that's the better way to go in general. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think that's sort of a best practice really anyway. Um, so what about media files? Now, one of the issues that you run into with media files is um, finding a format that everybody's happy with um, and that your Windows box can read and your Linux boxes can read and that there's not that they, that they perform well. And then what are you going to use to serve that up? I experimented for a while using um, the Windows sharing built in and like my Xbox to do that. So I thought, you know, that's awesome because that's two things made by Microsoft. They should work really well together. No, mm-hmm. no, not at all. No. Um, so again, answer. <laughs> <laughs> the, the way I've gone to do it is I save everything in MP4 for video and MP3 uh, uh, for um, audio. audio. And I put them all on that Pogo plug and everything accesses it from there. And including my mobile devices, they all handle that. Uh, so what about you guys? What are your uh, solutions for that? Uh, I echo you, Mark. Um, I do that with most things. The only thing that I do differently is if it's something that I know I'm not going to be accessing on another on a, another device and it's only a computer device, I'll actually do my videos as um, ISO files because then I can just dump an ISO straight into VLC and then don't have to worry about it. But don't you lose a lot of compression? That of course you, you you get the original file quality too. Yep. So I guess it works both ways. Which is why I do it that way because I don't want to lose any quality. And there's times where like my kid who likes to play with those those games where you'd strip them out using something that would you know compress an an M uh, an MK4. You know you get those games to go with it with the ISO file. And then I don't think, you know, technically I don't even think you're breaking copyright then because you're making an exact duplicate of... You're making a backup. Yeah, you're not breaking the encryption at that point. Yep. Um, Aaron, Dor, you guys have anything else to say? No. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't done enough of it to, to have any kind of valid comment. Now, see, I know that I, when I ask that question to Dor, he's going to have an answer. <laughs> Well, I'll say when I was in the Windows-only world, I used Orb.com, which blew me away in the fact that I never had to worry about formats of anything. It on the fly would actually transcode and change bitrate. So if I was on my PS3 down here browsing the media or my Wii upstairs browsing the media or on my phone, I didn't have to worry. It just all worked. I haven't had that level of convenience on Linux, but I will say um, I'm starting to like an app called VLC Shares. Um, it isn't the best in the world. It's not by the same people that do VLC, 
but I will say it makes browsing my content very easy. And I love the fact that it has like a uh, bookmarking capabilities where I can start a video on my phone, hit pause, go to my computer, hit play, and it picks up at that same spot. That's cool. Do you, uh, what do you use that for, for uh media viewing like video or do you use it for podcasting? What, what is your primary way to do that or um, well, do you use that for? Yeah. For my podcast, it's dog catcher on my Android just so I don't have to think about it anyplace else. Um, what, to be honest, what I've been doing lately with the VLC shares is my kids are in the car. They're getting a little antsy. I turn my tethering on my phone, pull out my, uh, and pull out my Kindle fire that is rommed and rooted and everything. Connect that through the VLC share, turn on uh, a SpongeBob or a Backyardigans or something that I have at my house, and I hit play and I give it to them. And then they're happy, so I can drive safely. <laughs> <laughs> but do you drive safely? Uh, with them in the car, yes. When me by myself, no. Not so much, huh? Nope. So uh, while we're on that subject, uh, one of my uh, tips was to use as, as many... Um, cross-platform tools as possible on your Windows machines and on your Linux machines, like VLC, for example, so that your your wife and your kids get used to the same experience no matter what their, their thing is. So I like uh, SM Player, which uh, uses the same uh, codecs and, and stuff as VLC, but it's a little prettier, uh, and it's cross-platform. So I have SM Player on all my computers, and everybody is trained. That's how you open videos, and, and that's set as the default tool for everything, so no matter where they are, Linux or Windows or Linux or Windows, because that's all I have in my house, um, they 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 know the same tool. Firefox, for example, is is our web browser of choice. LibreOffice is our Office suite of choice. So I, I like to use as many open source things that eases that transition. If especially if you can plan this and like um, while you're still using Windows before you introduce Linux, get them used to these open source and cross platform tools. So that the transition is smoother. Yeah, that's. I think that's the only way to do that type of a move, anyway. Yeah, in the case of the kids, you know, you're just training them in whatever. You know, they're going to use whatever, and so you just do you make whatever you want. You know, in the case of of the spouse who you know maybe forty years old and set in her ways, you know, there's there uh, there are a few more issues like that. But uh, I I found that introducing things piecemeal was the better way to do it. My wife, as I've said many times, is not technical at all. So when I buy her a new laptop, I set it all up. I do all the setups and everything and have everything installed and ready to go. And she just has a button that says Word document or a spreadsheet or internet. And that way I can choose what tools she uses and she's not um, inquisitive enough in terms of tech to ever go outside the box I've set up for. She just has no interest as long as it does what she needs to do. Yeah, and that, that that that's what I was gonna say. The the hardest thing to do with spousal a um a uh, approval is to basically cut out everything that they don't need and only give them those key buttons that they want. They don't want to know about transcoding. They don't want to know about RSS feeds. They don't want to know about any of that stuff. They just want to know play, stop, power. You know, and finding that interface that lets them do that, but then gives you the Linux guy, the power to do what you want to do is really a hard crossroad to meet. Yeah. How do you mean? Uh, explain that. Well, it's like um, Unity, for instance. Uh, a Ooh, lot of yes. new new users to, ooh, to ooh, Ubuntu 
and Linux like Unity. And it's because it puts a lot of the things right up in their face that they want to get done. Us advanced users want to do more advanced things. We have to dig further down. So we're not as happy with it, it seems like, as they are. It, it's really hard to make everybody happy, I'll say. Well, let's face it. To, to go back to uh, Dana Carvey in um, um, Wayne's World, we fear change. You know, geeks yes. <laughs> geeks are like that. If you know, don't take away GNOME two. I've been comfortable with GNOME two since nineteen ninety six. Why do you have to go to GNOME three? Give me leave me GNOME two. I know GNOME two. But um, the new users, uh, they pick up a, a machine with Unity on it and go, Oh, so this is Linux and they don't know any better. Right. Hmm. And they're happy. Right. And happiness. A happy wife is a happy life. That's what we're going oh, for. Yeah. Happy, right? Amen. Because ain't no one happy if mama's unhappy. (laughs) That's right. As King Solomon said, it's better to live on the corner of a roof than uh, in a spacious palace with a contemptuous woman. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say, to be honest, I'm cheating a little bit at home now that I stop to think about it to make sure she's happy. Uh, For instance, I have a Roku box upstairs on top of the TV, which I could put a custom computer OS up there. I could get a Raspberry Pi when they come out, which I'm extremely giddy about, and put something on there that could be as functional as useful, but she really likes the remote control and the ability to go through Netflix like a hot knife through butter. <laughs> could you do use a Raspberry Pi? Those things are so underpowered. I, I oh, thought no, about plenty. that too. But no, it yeah. can run Quake in 1080p. Yeah, but don't let, the, do- don't let the numbers fool you. Okay. <laughs> it's not an Intel processor, which means the architecture is completely different, which means saying this is 600 megahertz and that's 2.0 gigahertz. Well, that's that much better. Right. But if you're going to try to make it your media center, you've got to have not only the OS, but the media center software on top of that. And with what, 256 megs of RAM, it's, it's going to be a little difficult to do. They yeah. already got it running, uh, XBMC using a custom lightweight, uh, LXDE desktop, I believe. Okay. I've wondered about that. Because sure, the hardware acceleration, once it gets to the MP4 file, that's that's chip level, and that's just going to fly. Uh, you, you should be able to get uh, 720p, if not 1080p, out of that easily. But I've wondered about the... Can we just the, get along, guys? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've just wondered about the interface of it, because that's the issue, right? When you get into spousal approval, it's all about the issue, uh, in mm-hmm. the interface. You know? How long does uh, it take for it to launch? Right, like Chris's way of loading ISO files works fine for him, but to to have to file, uh, sort through a bunch of ISOs just by name, and and you, their names are probably so long you can't see the whole name in the window anyway, and then you're clicking through. You can't do that with a remote easily, so you got to use a mouse. My wife would never go for that, so that's why we went boxy because it's pretty, it's uh, album art, it's name, yeah. and as much as I hate some of the things about boxy, some of the the inconsistencies with it. It has that um, spousal approval factor. It, it's pretty. Right. right. Yeah. I think XBA, I think XBMC would have a fair chance in most households. I'm not going to say a great chance. I'm not going to be that foolish. But um, here's one of the gimmicks you got to remember. The whole motherboard is smaller than a credit card. Everything is right there, which means the information literally doesn't have to travel as far. Right. That alone is a hidden speed up that people won't really recognized and it does have built-in native hdmi ports ethernet ports uh sd card um the ram which technically should be faster than a uh, spinning disc 
So it, it, it does have other things that can at least give the perception of greater speed. Well, I'm sure you'll let us all know on one of your bazillion podcasts once you get one how well it works, <laughs> and I'll be listening to that. My issue with XBMC, and maybe somebody can help me out here, maybe there's a, what do they call them, recipes for that, uh, something like that, yeah. um, is that it doesn't look down an entire folder structure. So if I have subfolders like my TV episodes, like I have The Tick, and then I have season one, season two, it it doesn't expose that. I have to drill down. And again, that's something my, my kids and my wife would never do. Boxy is really good about just throwing everything out there, no matter how many subfolders you have. Right. And it looks through all of them and just pulls them all in. And since one is built on top of the other, I have to assume that there's something out there that d- d- has done that. Because I'm, I'm really pretty frustrated in general with Boxy right now and, w- and would jump to XBMC, which I think is prettier overall. Um, if it weren't for a couple of little things like that. Well, we should start start a uh, free open source software blog review blog and have as one of our factors of reviewing the uh, SAF, the spousal approval factor. Right. <laughs> like we could be known for that. You know, this got an SAF score of 73.8 due to the <laughs> blah, blah, blah. I, mean, what would, I was thinking more like a five-star rating, but what would the yeah. stars be? Like uh, five uh, uh, hugs or they would start or, from the left with a frying pan, and right. then each star would progressively <laughs> yeah. change in the right. Like, a, the like from a rolling pin to yeah. a back massage or something like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Couch would be the one in the middle, right? Doghouse <laughs> Dog would be yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, I think that's sort of everything I had um, in terms of of, the, of spousal approval in Linux, and and I think if there was one takeaway. Uh, that we had from this, it's planning is key. Don't try to yeah. force it. Move into it slowly. Um, do you yeah. guys have any other thoughts on that? Um, I'm going to steal a line from uh, Leo Laporte that he stole from somebody else. You have to make sure when you do that transition, it's not as good. You got to make sure it's be better, right? A whole lot better. You got to make sure that there's more things specifically geared towards their needs. If they really love dexter for instance you got to make sure you're able to give them dexter on a silver platter as soon as possible right blood dripping silver platter (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) yeah um that's one of the things i what i call when i when i write and when i uh, talk about the lateral move you know when when you're just moving from one to the other and it's it's not a an upward move there's no point for that in fact it's negative you lose points by not gaining, by not going forward. If I'm going to make somebody change, then it has to be better. It can't be the same, because then I've gone through the pain of change and gained nothing. Right. And sometimes, and, and Linux zealots lose sight of that. And they'll, they'll see behind their braces and say, but it's free, and it's, and it's open, and it's mm-hmm. better. It's, it's just better. Uh, it's no. Linux. Yeah, it's Linux, therefore it's better. It's not necessarily better. I'm sorry. I know this is a Linux show, but let me just say, it's not always better. Sometimes Linux is worse. Actually, often Linux is worse. Um, and we just have to, we have to just lay the wizened thing out on the table and admit it and say, this is the, the state of Linux as it is right now. And it will never get any better if we keep ignoring that fact. Okay. Wait, well, I'll just say... Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I would say on um them I cast I often state when someone asks me what is better than this, what is better than that, what's the best for this. I tell them 
that is such a trick question. You are trying to make me look bad. Better <laughs> and best is total oh um oh um opinion. It's not really fact. It's it might be better for this or for that, but it might not be better for this and that. So there is no really better in the my eyes. It's what's more pleasing for this person right now. And that's a really hard thing to judge, especially when it's not you, but it's your spouse. You really got to do a lot of voodoo, a lot of sitting back, a lot of reading between the lines of what they're saying to figure out what is it that they really want. Yeah. And often uh, the, the primary excuse that people use is cost. Uh, and they, that Linux is free of charge, free as in beer, they'll say. But in terms of the home user, every operating system is free. Because you buy a laptop, it comes with Windows. You buy a Mac, it comes with the Mac OS. That You never pay for an OS. Now, unless you're just building yourself a white box and buying it. But for the most part, if you're buying something pre-made, it comes with an OS. So you're not really saving any money. Uh, and so I, that's a specious argument when people use it. And I think we need, as a Linux community, to stop using that argument. Well, I like the argument I heard from Tracy Holtz. Free isn't what we should be pushing. It's value. Right. Yeah. Because when you do get the Windows, you're right. Technically, it's a blind cost. You don't pay nothing for it. But down the line, you're paying in the fact that you're now locked in. You're paying in the fact that this is going to become obsoleted and to run the next one, you might have to go buy a whole new computer. You know, you're paying because every day you might have to go pay somebody to do a reinstall because you might get a, a um, an MBR infection that wants to hide all of your home folder kind of files on your Windows box. <laughs> I had three of those uh, this week. Yeah. Well, as a funny note, um, you know, talking about the good and better thing, we have everybody knows about Good Morning America, right? Well, here we have Better Mornings Atlanta. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> I nice. Yeah, one of the things that I always say, uh, particularly when I'm talking to my you know, uh, school board, is I don't use tools because they're free. I look at them because they're free, and I use them because they're good. Yep. Free isn't enough. It has to be good. And, right. and as we've said, mm-hmm. uh, it has to be better. Now, in some cases, like, for example, with Windows 7, if you're in the enterprise, you have to move to Windows 7 over the next couple of years. There's no choice. Well, okay, since you're going to be changing anyway, maybe this is a good time to change the Linux. You're having to make a move anyway. So that's where you can realize some, some uh, savings. Uh, but for the home user, I think that sort of evaporates and doesn't work anymore. Yeah. All right. Um, until, unless we have any other final thoughts, I'm just going to say we'll... Uh, um, wrap this up uh dort tell us about your podcasts and where people can find you since you're not a regular to our show first of all i gotta say really thank you guys for letting me be on i love the intellectual the nature of how you guys talk back and forth and the fact that you don't talk like radio djs from the 80s um (laughs) we're stacking some drags of wax at 5 p.m (laughs) we're bringing it to you live right um, I actually now do five podcasts a week. On uh, Monday night, I do Pod Brewers. Tuesday night, I do Linux for the rest of us. Wednesday night, I do Droid Nation. Thursday night, I do Android App Addicts. Friday night, I do Linux Basics. Um, 
I gotta say, if you want to know anything more about me, just go to DoorToDoorGeek.com. I had a, a good friend of mine um, actually go make the site visually appealing because that's something I could not compute and get to do myself. So I gotta thank Chris for helping with that site. It actually looks respectable now. <laughs> it does look very nice. Thank you. All right, Dor. Well, we appreciate you coming out. He uh, uh, listens to the show, I guess, or, uh, or at least recently uh, begun listening to the show and said, "Hey, I'd like to come on." And we said, "Great, come on." So, uh, Dor, the the door is always open. Oh, Ooh, oh, Mark, and you were accusing me. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, anytime you want to come on, just uh, just let it be known. <laughs> cool. Aaron is is doing the hook. He's pulling him off, pulling me off stage now. Get the get the hook. <laughs> Um, I should I was pulling that dagger out of my heart. <laughs> <is what> I- <laughs> All right, guys. Any other final words before I wrap this thing up? Wrap away. All right. Well, thank you for being with us, everybody. You can find us here uh, every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Central, 9 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 7 p.m. Mountain, and 6 p.m. Pacific. I think I've covered them all now. Yep. Uh, you'll have to 3 figure a. out Greenwich. You'll have to figure out what that is, UTC. I'm not going to do that. Um, so, uh, but that's when we do live, and it comes out every Wednesday, uh, like midnight my time, uh, Wednesday morning is when it comes out. So if you want to subscribe, you can do that. Uh, go over to elementop.com, and we have six shows right now. Every one of those is one click away from a subscription, or if you don't want to uh, make that commitment, you don't get any Ginsu knives, but if you're not willing to make that commitment, just go and click the play button. Every show has a play button. Just click on it, listen, and maybe eventually we'll convince you to subscribe. But uh, we have uh, uh, the Everyday Linux forums. Go there. Leave us feedback. Let us know what you think about the show. If we have some ideas or if we said something boneheaded, no, we know we said something boneheaded. If you want to call attention to it, that's the place to do that over at elementop.com. So thanks for being with us, folks. And uh, for this week, that ends this episode of Everyday Linux. Everyday Linux.